Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Burt's Books podcast. This week I am recording uh, as it's quite windy outside, so if you hear any sort of loud whooshing noises, if the microphone picks any of that up, then I do apologise, but at least you know what it is. I was asking this week on Twitter what books everyone was looking forward to this year. The reason is because this week so many big books uh, have started to be announced, have had covers revealed. Obviously we had the Robert Galbraith and, and the Richard Osman sort of announced and covers last week. This week, Graham Norton announced his new book, so that's his third coming this autumn. Also, Matt Haig, we knew it was coming, but we've now got a date and a cover. That's coming at the end of August. And The Guyliner, a.k.a. Justin Myers, his second novel, which uh, I have read already. I was very lucky to read a very early copy, The Magnificent Sons. Uh, That's coming out in May, in fact, but his cover was revealed as well. So I was very keen to understand what books you were all looking forward to. And lots of, lots of replies. Go and have a look at the Twitter thread to see. But the one that came up the most often, and when it was mentioned, people agreed with it, was Stuart Turton's new one. So I'll be adding that to the website and you can pre-order that. Stuart Turton, if you don't know, wrote The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which is an excellent, excellent book. It's a sort of murder mystery come quantum leap crossover that came out a couple of years ago now and it was an it's an excellent book very sort of accomplished it was quite quite complicated but it did it in a really accessible way so i'm really looking forward to seeing what his next one is like it's called the devil in the dark water it's coming out in october in hardback so uh the blurb of it just so we know says there's a murder on the high seas a remarkable detective duo and a demon who may or may not exist. So it'll be interesting to see how that tallies with the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. But that's enough babbling for me. It's time to get on with the show. Coming up in this week's episode, I've got all the big news. I've got some reviews of some books. I have got the chart rundown. But I will also be revealing this week what is in the March bundles for Bert's books. So, enjoy the episode. Swimming in the Dark is the first novel from Thomas Jodrowski. It is quite short, to be honest. I'll I'll read the blurb to you very quickly now. You were right when you said that people can't always give us what we want from them. Poland, 1980. Anxious, disillusioned, Ludwig Glavaki, soon to graduate university, has been sent along with the rest of his class to an agricultural camp. Here he meets Janice, and together they spend a dream-like summer, swimming in secluded lakes, reading forbidden books and falling in love. But with summer over, the two are sent back to Warsaw, and to the harsh realities of life under the party. Exiled from paradise, Ludwig and Janice must decide how they will survive, but their different choices risk tearing them apart. Swimming in the Dark is an unforgettable debut about youth, love and loss, and the sacrifices we make to live lives with meaning. It's already had endorsement from writers such as Sebastian Barry, uh, Edmund White, Justin Torres, Patricia Dunker. It's quite short, just over 200 pages long, but filled to the brim with some beautiful writing. 
As the blurb says, it's set in 1980 in communist Poland and it explores the forbidden love between Ludwig and Janus, right from those first moments of flirtation to a full-on summer of love, before taking them quite harshly back to reality. It's told in letter form, so the actual uh, book starts with Ludwig waking up in America. We don't know how long after that summer of love, but it's clear that Janus is not with him anymore. We don't know why. Uh, we don't know what's happened to the relationship. But it seems that while Ludwig has left Poland, Janus has remained behind. Throughout the novel, the sort of letter from Ludwig to Janus is interspersed with Ludwig's time in America and learning about some uprising in, 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 his, in his homeland. Although it's set in different times and and obviously different locations, I I had I can't help but feel how similar it is in a way to the intoxicating Mister Lavelle, which I did talk about last week. Both feature two young gay men sort of experiencing love for the first time, uh, and both feature a choice to be made by the protagonist: do they stay in the world that they know, or do they leave it? with the one that they love and risk everything that's probably the only point of similarity between the two this is focused much more on on the love between the two characters and i would say despite the brevity of this novel they do feel much more real perhaps because that is set in a more recent time it might be much more relatable Backdropped against their sort of love is this political situation in Poland and how they get swept up in that from from friends to teachers to people who are supposed to be helping them get a passport. It's another book that throws a light on the difficulties of the history of homosexual people. And whilst it wouldn't have been the only thing in Poland at the time that was sort of outlawed, obviously it it resonates. And once again, you find yourself wanting Ludwig to make a choice that might mean he he has to leave Janus behind. Really did enjoy this book. It is available now. You can order it on birdsbooks.co.uk. And it is... Fourteen ninety nine, a bargain, and I am looking forward to reading more from Kidrowski. I think he's got quite a a good future ahead of him. I am like a bird in a bookshop today because I have had one big box of books come through and a bag of books come through. I think I know what they are. I think these are all books that I've requested from the publishers, but I'm going to quickly open them now. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you about all of them, because there would be far too many to talk about. Let's just have a look at some of the ones that I am looking forward to the most. So this first box is from HarperCollins, and in it I've got books such as The Guest List by Lucy Foley, which we will hear more about later and amongst all these books is this one called Tuesday Mooney Wore Black by Kate Raculia. This one really jumped out at me when I saw saw the blurb so let me just read it to you now. 
You are cordially invited to play a game. Tuesday Mooney loves a puzzle, so when an eccentric billionaire drops dead leaving behind a fiendish treasure hunt open to anyone, to his fortune, Tuesday can't resist. Although she works best alone, she soon finds herself partnering up with best friend Dex, money manager by day, karaoke zealot by night, and the mysterious Nathaniel Arches, eldest son of a wealthy family who held a long-running feud with the dead man. As the clues are solved, excitement across the city reaches fever pitch, but nothing is as it seems, and the puzzle within a puzzle holds something much darker than the vast fortune at its heart. You, and everyone you know, are invited to play. Really looking forward to reading that one. It's got sort of an air of, of escape rooms about it, and I'm really into escape rooms at the moment. It also, I don't know, it just kind of made me think of the Knives Out film by Ryan Johnson, which came out sort of late last year, which was sort of very black comedy. And I, I, and I think this book is going to be the same. That one is out already, so I will have a read of that and I will let you know what I think about it. In the bag, I'm not sure who this came from. Oh, I think this is from Collins as well, actually. So this might just be sort of part two of my request. And amongst the books in here, one of them that I have is called Q by Christina Doucher. This one comes out in April. And if you think that you recognise the name Christine Doucher, it's what she wrote... Vox, which came out a couple of years ago now, I think. And that was about uh, a sort of near-future America where women are only allowed a certain number of words a day. I really, really enjoyed it, so I was looking forward to her next one. Um, So I asked for it, and I got it. So this is the blurb. Eleanor Fairchild is a teacher at one of the state's new elite schools. Her daughters are exactly like her, beautiful, ambitious and perfect. A good thing, since the recent mandate that swept the country is all about perfection. Now everyone must undergo routine tests for their quotient, Q, and any children who don't measure up are placed into new government schools. Instead, teachers can focus on the gifted. Eleanor tells herself it's not about eugenics, not really, but when one of her daughters scores lower than expected and is taken away, she intentionally fails her own test to go with her. But what Eleanor discovers is far more terrifying than she ever imagined. That's coming out in hardback. It'll be twelve ninety nine, and that'll be April. Um, so I'll pop it up available for pre-order. It does look good, sort of quite timely with the eugenics sort of hitting the news recently. So uh, that'll be another interesting one. Final package to open uh, is from Little Brown. I know this because it says it on the label. And inside is a copy of How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zan. And this one comes out in in another one for April in hardback. And the blurb reads the following. An epic novel about family and the search for both a home and a fortune. Set during the gold rush in a reimagined American West, Lucy and Sam, 12 and 11, are newly orphaned siblings. With their father's body on their backs, they roam an unforgiving landscape dotted with buffalo bones and tiger paw prints, searching for a place to give him a proper burial. The siblings must battle with their own memories, the illusion of the American dream, and each other. 
How much of these hills is gold is a sweeping adventure tale, an unforgettable sibling story, and a remarkable novel about family bound and divided by its memories. Another one that I am really looking forward to reading. That one comes from Virago Press. I will let you know about how about that one as well. Very soon. The Memory Wood by Sam Lloyd. You'll remember that I received this book last week after requesting it because author Fiona Cummins really, really enjoyed it. So I thought, oh, okay, well, let's see what the fuss is about. To remind you, the blurb says the following. Elijah has lived in the memory wood for as long as he can remember. It's the only home he's ever known. Elissa has only just arrived and she'll do anything she can to escape. When Elijah stumbles across 13-year-old Alyssa in the woods where her abductor is hiding her, he refuses to alert the police. Because in his 12 years, Elijah has never had a proper friend, and he doesn't want Alyssa to leave. Not only that, Elijah knows how this can end. After all, Alyssa isn't the first girl he's found inside the memory wood. As her abductor's behaviour grows more erratic, Alyssa realises that outwitting strange, lonely Elijah is her only hope of survival. Their cat and mouse game of deception and betrayal will determine both their fates and whether either of them will ever leave the memory wood. So the story starts with Alyssa on her way to a chess tournament. Uh, She's a great player. She's uh, joining a championship to see if she can be progressed forward into sort of the world championships and she's very clear that actually chess is kind of her thing she doesn't really have any other friends or anything but she likes to play chess and her mum loves her so she's driving her down from Salisbury all the way down to Bournemouth for this chess tournament they stop in a diner on the way and it, it becomes a bit nervous for the reader because we know that she's kidnapped we know that because the very sort of beginning actually is set um after her kidnap and we see through her eyes on her way to this tournament all these various uh encounters that she has with people and we start to worry that each of these encounters might be the one where she's taken and then it's not it's fine and she gets to the tournament and then something else happens and no it's fine nothing which is quite effective, really. Uh, it, it makes you sympathetic for her fairly early on uh, because you're worried about her already. And actually, the way that the author does this, the way that Sam Lloyd does this, is by flipping the days around. So it starts, or actually, it starts on day six before flipping back to day one. And then it, it keeps sort of updating with day two, day three, day one again. And it's told from three different character points of view. There's Alyssa, the, the kidnapped girl, Elijah, who encounters her in their memory wood, and Maraid, the detective who is tasked with trying to find Elisa. And that works quite well because you see a bit more into the detail of the search for Elisa when Maraid first joins, and, and a, quite a large chunk of her time is obviously spent on day one. Whereas actually Alyssa's story really starts to kick into gear after around day three when she's in the in the in the cellar where she's being held. Alyssa actually seems sort of a lot older than her years. Uh, she's thirteen, but I think because of the chess playing, she's very focused. 
she doesn't have a huge amount of young friends, so she has an older head on her. And so she's able to, I think, calmly assess the situation that she finds herself in and, and start planning to survive. Not necessarily to escape, but to survive. How does she get through day one? How does she get through day two? Whereas Elijah, uh, he she doesn't really see him. She can't really see his, his features when he arrives because obviously it's very dark and he's snuck into this basement where she's being held and he he starts talking to her he's being nice i suppose but she is trying to get him to help her to escape and he won't and that's because of something that happened to Bryony, who we sort of find out was held there prior to Alyssa. we don't really know straight away what happened to Bryony, but he's reluctant to help because if he does help the same fate that uh, struck Bryony may strike her as well. What I liked about Alyssa's time and Alyssa in the in the basement was that she has this very logical mind and she divides the basement floor where she's being held into a chessboard. So she starts to very carefully note down where everything is in the room so the manacle that's holding her to the ground is in d4 so very center of the room and then she finds her rucksack it's in wherever you know i7 or whatever it is and she divides and, and she's able to remember where everything is through this chessboard style structure that she has going on which i guess when you play chess is is you're very good at seeing those sort of things and and moving them mentally around the board even if they don't move physically so so it kind of makes sense that she would think in this way it's really weird actually on an aside that chess is so important to Alyssa because I started reading this the night after I was looking after my godson and he's just gotten into chess I sort of understand the rules I I played maybe once or twice a very long time ago, but we had a game of chess on that day, and, and I beat him, which I was quite pleased about. But you do... I struggled at first because I had to try and remember how to get into it. And I think if you're a very mentally visual person, chess is quite an interesting game because you're moving things around, even though they're staying the same and you're working out. If I move that there, they can move that here. And that's what Alyssa is that's why she's really good at chess but because of that she's able to then use this visual mind palace uh, sort of akin to Sherlock to cope with how she is and then what she does is mentally she upends the board and turns each of the squares into drawers and she opens the drawer and places memories in them so the diner that she and her mum visit on the way to Bournemouth she takes all of the information about the people that she met there and she she remembers it in quite significant detail uh, not i don't think she's necessarily sort of got a photographic memory but what happens is she remembers one little detail and then the others sort of remember crystallize around it um that the eyes of the waitress and how Alyssa felt about that and then more memories about that surface and she files that memory in in that drawer and then and then closes that drawer and then she remembers uh, something else about another part, like the car that cut them up on the way. And so she takes all of her memories about that and files it in that drawer. 
And the reason she's doing this is because she believes that some of this information may be important to her, to surviving her captors, to surviving her captivity. And she takes all the information she knows about Elijah and, and starts filing that away, thinking, oh, I might be able to use some of this at one point. Which is incredibly smart and incredibly complicated in a way that she can do this. I don't think it necessarily means that she's... Uh, sort of a savant or anything I think it's just a, a an ability she's developed over the years from playing playing chess and what happens is this bit of a mind game between between Alyssa and Elijah he's very clear on what he's doing he just wants to be her friend really he does seem a bit slow as if younger than his years he tells her he's 12 but he he doesn't seem quite that old. And his interactions with his brother and his mum, he sometimes seems older. So it's really it's really weird, that sort of dynamic between the two of them. Because whilst you, you think, mm, maybe he should be able to outwit her, this is sort of home field advantage, she does seem a lot smarter. But she's tied to a ring on the floor of a basement. She can't physically move. She has only got her mental abilities to help her. Maraid is a funny one in that we, as a detective, we, we sort of learn quite a bit about her personal life. She's trying for a baby and and keeps having miscarriages. And this kind of pushes her on to try and find Alyssa. But her main role in the story seems to be to act as the person who tells the story of what happened when Alyssa and Elijah aren't present or when we when the author doesn't want us to know what Elijah is thinking. One of the things I found good about this book was its setting. Uh, obviously, the memory wood where the, the cottage is that Lissa is being kept in is fictional. Uh, it's in a fictional grounds of a fictional manor house. And the street in which she lives on in Salisbury is fictional as far as I can tell. But Salisbury's mentioned, Bournemouth is mentioned, places where we might know. And personally, Swindon gets a mention later on and Wiltshire, where I live. So that's quite an interesting, it helps bring it home in a way that books set in London don't. And I think that's A, because there's so many books set in London and, and places like similar where it almost doesn't feel real anymore. There's that this fictional London where all this stuff happens. But also, because I don't live there, I can't... I mean, I go there a lot, but because I don't live there, I can't necessarily picture it as easily. Whereas this minute that Swindon's mentioned, it doesn't get a huge mention, but I, I, can, I can see it. And I can see the family that is sort of briefly touched upon. And I know them. I mean, I don't know them. They're not real. But I can see them. I know which area of Swindon they live in. And that tells me a lot about them. I know the park that they've gone to. And that helps colour them in a way that like 20 pages of description maybe couldn't. And obviously that's not going to be the same for everyone. But what I found interesting was that the choice to do that really helps hone in for some parts of the audience the characters and actually, I wish more authors would do that and focus on areas outside of the big cities and the big 
big conurbations, although I suppose Swindon is quite a big conurbation, as is Salisbury, but it's not necessarily one that gets seen a lot in literature. And it might just help grow their audience and in places where the they may not find their audience that easily. I don't think Swindon... You know, there are people who don't read but will read books set in their hometown. And if that encourages them to then read on, that can only be a good thing. So, uh, yeah, what I'm advocating here is is more diversity in setting as well as diversity in character. About two-thirds of the way in this, you get to a point where you think, well, this can't be ending now, surely. This is another hundred pages or so to go. But it's at the point where, in terms of lengthwise, it could end. Other novels sort of end at that point. And, and even actually in terms of narrative-wise, it's at the point where, hmm, okay, this could be the ending in a lot of other books. But then Lloyd takes it a step further, another development happens, and you get a very much different third act to the book, which is just as compelling and this sort of mind game between Elijah and Alyssa and Maraid uh, does does step up a little. I think it's something that works really well. You could have got bored of of the the format if it had gone on too much longer, but it doesn't go on too too long and Lloyd shakes things up just at the right moment and it was one of those books where I had to carry on reading even past the point of I need to go to bed now um, I'm very strict in my routine and it had gone past that point and I thought oh do you know what I could read for another 40 minutes and finish this so I did and I was so glad I did because it was an excellent finish really really enjoyed it the only thing would probably be I would want to know a little bit more about the perpetrator and find out just a, a little bit more about why and and also what they were doing. You don't necessarily get that information. I'm being careful here so as not to spoil too much. So I think I might just leave it there. Really, really enjoyed it. It's twelve ninety nine. It's available now. Go on to birthsbooks.co.uk and order it. Graham Norton to release third book. Matt Haig cover revealed! And a brand new podcast from Bert's Books. So obviously the big news this week is the launch of Shelf Life, the brand new podcast from Bert's Books. It's presented by myself and each week I will be interviewing a special guest about the books that have been most important to them in their lives. So I'll ask them to pick seven books that they would put on the bookshelf of their life. The first guest is Rowan Coleman, and I sat with her a couple of months ago now, and we recorded this episode, and we had a great time. So, and she she came up with some really good books to to think about. So just go to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, and search Shelf Life Burt's Books, and you will find it. Uh, that first episode is coming on Tuesday, the 3rd of March. As I mentioned earlier, Graham Norton announced this week that he was to be releasing his third novel this autumn. I'm really excited by this because I 
really, really liked the last two that he's done. Holding was the first and then a keeper, his second. What I think is really exciting is his second was so much better than his first. I'm hoping he's really going to get into his stride with this third one. And we would truly get an excellent, excellent book. So what is it about? It's called Homestretch. It's coming out on the 1st of October later this year. So it's available to pre-order now. And it says, It is 1987 and a small Irish community is preparing for the wedding of two of its young inhabitants. They're barely adults, not so long out of school, and still part of the same set of friends they've grown up with. As the friends head home from the beach flat last night before the wedding, there is a car accident. Three survived the crash, but three are killed, and the reverberations are felt throughout the small town. Connor, the young driver of the car, lives. But staying among the angry in the morning is almost as hard as living with the shame, and so he leaves the only place he knows for another life, travelling first to Liverpool, then London. By the noughties, he has made a home of sorts for himself in New York. The city provides shelter and possibility for the displaced, somewhere Connor can forget his past and forge a new life. But the secrets, the unspoken longings and regrets that have come to haunt those left behind will not be silenced. And before long, Connor will have to meet his past. So if you've read the past two, you'll know Graham does like a secret long-held in the past. It sounds like we might be getting more of the same so I'm really looking forward to finding out what this secret is, how the three that have survived versus the three that died, which three it was. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of room there for drama. So very much looking forward to that one. You can pre-order that right now. And lastly this week, Matt Haig. His new novel has finally got a publication date. He's been working on this, well, publicly he's been working on this for about six months. He He sort of revealed... La- late last year what it was going to be about and instantly hooked on the on the idea so he told me ye- a couple of years ago about the plot of how to stop time and with his sort of concept that he had for that I again I was I was instantly hooked and then that turned out to be a wonderful book so I'm very much looking forward to this one what is it about though what is the concept that is what I can hear you asking well it's called the midnight library And the blurb is as follows. Between life and death, there is a library. When Nora Seed finds herself in the Midnight Library, she has a chance to make things right. Up until now, her life has been full of misery and regret. She feels she has let everyone down, including herself. But things are about to change. The books in the Midnight Library enable Nora to live as if she had done things differently. With the help of an old friend, She can now undo every one of her regrets as she tries to work out her perfect life. But things aren't always what she'd imagined they'd be, and soon her choices place the library and herself in extreme danger. Before time runs out, she must answer the ultimate question. What is the best way to live? So it's sort of time travel, but sort of not, I guess, in that Nora can go back to different points within her life and and redo them. Um, I guess there's always... In most time travel books, there's always, and most time travel films, TV programs, there's always the the lesson to be learned that you can't go back and change the past because even just, you know, changing one little thing to make that time that you weren't very nice to somebody, you can go back and, and correct it. But then it turns out 20, 30 years later down the line, that person has 
has become the president of America or hasn't become the president of America, something like that. Every little step seems to really have an impact. It'll be interesting to see how Matt explores this topic. This week, I have also read The Guest List by Lucy Foley. It's her new one. I really, really enjoyed it. It was such a fun book to read. The blurb is as follows. The stage is set for the marriage of Jules Keegan and Will Slater. The setting is spectacular. The planning meticulous. The atmosphere alive with nostalgia as the guests toast the most golden of couples. Yet under the cloak of happiness, dark secrets begin to spill and old grudges surface. And the wedding cake has barely been cut when someone is found dead. As a storm unleashes its fury on the island, everyone is trapped and the killer circulates amongst the guests. As it sort of implies, there's a sort of spooky, stormy island. Nobody else is on it. It's it's off to the, it's off the west coast of Ireland. Very, very choppy weather, stormy. It all kind of, the sort of atmosphere you'd want for a murder mystery, less so for a wedding. But Jules and Will, they're kind of like this big power couple. Jules is the managing director of a, of a magazine. Will is a Bear Grylls type TV presenter. And it's their wedding that we're at. The night before the wedding, a few people have come over to spend the night. There's Jules's best friend, Charlie, and his wife. There's Will's four ushers and his best man. So there's five of those, all from his school days. There's Jules's half-sister and her parents, who are estranged haven't been together for a long time as well as all of those there's Aoife and Freddie who own the big house on the island where the where the wedding is being held and it's the first time they've held a wedding there it's a new business they're trying to get a lot of exposure and Jules's magazine will help them do that right at the beginning we know that there's been a, a, a death it starts out with on the wedding night and they hear all the lights go out in the marquee. It's not the first time it goes out because there's like sort of power cuts, etc. But it's uh, it goes out for quite some time, and then it, there's a, a large scream of terror, and and it's very clear that something's happened. And then we go back to the day before when Charlie and his wife Hannah are on their way across the sea, and we sort of see it from from Hannah's point of view. The, the, this first bit and in fact the actual book is split into the events of the wedding night which kind of every now and then pop up but are not told from a particular character's point of view to uh, Hannah, Aoife, Jules, Jono the best man and Olivia the half-sister they they all get their own viewpoints and what's really, really interesting about this book is that it goes against the whodunit concept because it's more of a who is it in that we don't know who's died until very close to the end. And I think by the point that you know who's been killed, you start to maybe figure out who it was that did it. And you don't get much of an aftermath in, that you normally do in in crime mysteries you you normally start off with a murder and then boom there's there's all this aftermath and what 
Foley does really, really well is actually she builds all the characters up. So that the tension is building and building and building. And that the crescendo of the book, the big climax, is the violent murder rather than the reveal. Which some murder mysteries can feel that in that you get all this bit at the, at the sort of beginning and then it's all a, a roller coaster down after that. Well, this sort of teases the anticipation of it, which I really, really liked. One thing I also liked about this is there's a lot of characters and obviously five different viewpoints is, is could potentially be quite confusing. But what she does is each part is starts with the name of the character. So it'll say Hannah. But underneath that, it then tells you who it is. So Hannah is the plus one. Jules, the bride. Olivia, the bridesmaid. Jono, the best man. So that's a... <laughs> really helpful um, way of, of reminding you who everyone is without seemingly to make it too obvious that it's it's giving you that reminder. So it's a really easy read. Now, obviously, Lucy Foley was the author of the best-selling Hunting Party that came out last year, and I know that uh, she had a lot of fans for that. So I think if you enjoyed that, you will really enjoy this book as well. It took me a while to figure out who it was that was killed. In fact, to be honest, I don't think I I did figure it out uh, until, until it happened. Because it keeps throwing sort of red herrings at you. But as soon as I, I found out who had been killed, I did start to go, okay, I think this is what's happened then. And it was this person. And I was pleased to say that I did get that right. But it seems... By, the, by that point, everybody might have a motive. And part of the fun of these books is trying to work out who it was who, who, who might have done, done this. So yeah, really great book. Highly recommend. It's bundle day! Literally today, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, if you are one of the people, many, many people who listen to it straight away. The 1st of March, it's the day all the bundles go out. I have been beavering away all weekend getting them ready. So now it's time for me to reveal what they are. So first off, in the crime and thriller hardback bundle, you've heard me talk about them already today. It is the guest list joined with the memory wood. So that is Lucy Foley and Sam Lloyd. They are two fantastic books i highly recommend them go out and have a look at them on the website at burtsbooks.co.uk in crime and thriller paperback it's Anne cleaves with the long call i had this as a book of the month in hardback last year and i'm so happy to see it come out in paperback and it's already doing really really well uh you will hear a bit more about that in the charts later but joining it is Elevator Pitch by Linwood Barclay. Again, another one I had out in hardback uh, a few months ago in, in the hardback bundle. But I really, really loved it. And I think if you're looking for a good thriller, then Elevator Pitch uh, is a really good place to start. It's, it's a very good concept. In the general fiction bundle... Uh, for Hardback, you have heard me talk about it already, Swimming in the Dark by Thomas Jodrowski. And for the general fiction paperback bundle, no surprise to see Queenie in this pack. It's the first book that I got for the website last year when I first launched. And it's been one of the biggest sellers 
I've been pushing it on absolutely everybody. But joining it is the new one from Mike Gale, Half a World Away. You might have heard him talking about his book on Graham Norton last week, I think it was. It was really uh, a good interview, so go and check that out. And if you want to know more about all of the books in the bundles, have a look at burtsbooks.co.uk, search for them on there, or follow me on Instagram at burtsbooks, where I will be posting my thoughts on all of these over the coming weeks. And if you want to get a bundle of books in the post, there are loads of ways that you can go about doing it. Go to burtsbooks.co.uk and go to the subscriptions category. There you will find the option to build your own bundle where you can choose how many books you get, how often you get them and which genre. Or there's some preset ones in there. So you can go for two crime and thriller paperbacks every month if that is your thing. On those bundles, you can get 20% off your first month by using the code WELCOME20. Alternatively, head to the gift subscriptions and sign up to receive either three months, six months or 12 months worth of books. And right now, you can also get 10% off using the code MUMMY. Uh, That is only eligible until Mother's Day. It is time to take a look at the bestseller charts. And as we're getting further into the year, we're starting to see fiction books start taking up those positions inside the top 10. Uh, There are three new entries this week, all of them fiction, uh, including the first James Patterson of the year. So that will be a name that I will be saying a lot with the charts, I would imagine. So without further ado, let's start. New in at 10, it is that James Patterson, Unsolved. At 9, up 1, it's The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. At 8, also up 1, it's Pinch of Nom by Kay Feverson and Kate Allenson. At 7, down 2, it's A Rose Petal Summer by Katie Ford. And new in at 6, it's Philippa Gregory's latest, Tidelands. At 5, down 4, last week's number 1, Val McDermott and How the Dead Speak. At 4, down 1, it's Pinch of Nom, Everyday Light by Kay Feverson and Kate Allenson. Up one at three, it's Kate Atkinson's Big Sky, the latest Jackson Brody novel. And in at two, it's Anne Cleves' The Long Call, the new one from her at the start of the Two Rivers series, which means back to number one. Up one from last week, it's Charlie Mackesy with The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. I'm really pleased to see Anne Cleves in, in there. Uh, as you know, she's in the bundles this month and was previously a book of the month for Burt's Books when she came out in hardback. I'm really looking forward to seeing more from that series, and I'm glad that so many people have have taken that one up. What's really impressive is it is at number two, uh, despite only coming out on Thursday last week. So it'll be interesting to see whether full-week sales might put it ahead of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. Looking at the numbers, it was a good 5,000 units behind. So it still it needs to sell a lot of books this week. But I think it could just do it. Obviously, all the sales from the bundles will go into the market data. So if it does get to number one, uh, that will be a, a victory for Burt's Books, I think. Come back next week to find out whether she does it. That is everything for this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're reading, 
whether you have signed up for a Burt's Books bundle or if you're reading something else. Also, I want to know from you, what is your favourite Roald Dahl book? Last week in Build a Bookshelf, there were quite a few Roald Dahl books and it's got me thinking, which is everyone's favourite? My personal one is Matilda, but I would love to know from you guys what your favourite is. So do get in contact with me. You can get, tell me on Twitter, at uh, Burt's Books, or via email, bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. Also, if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Burt's Books, you will have the option of recording me a message. I would love to hear from you, uh, a mini review of any of the books that you're reading, or if you disagree with me on any of the, my verdicts on, on the books. So do get in touch. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell all your friends that if they're looking for a brilliant new book, to head to the Burt's Books podcast to find a recommendation. And don't forget, listen out for Shelf Life coming on Tuesday with Rowan Coleman. I'm really excited for that podcast release. So would love for you all to listen to it. But that is it for now. So I will leave you all be and I will speak to you very soon.